0: Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome back to Technology Watch. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Masihullah Katrada. And today we're going to take our listeners into the future of motor vehicles. What will the future of motor vehicles actually look like? Now, one of the biggest pain points, especially here in South Africa for common consumers, is the wildly, wildly fluctuating petrol prices. I mean, it's unbelievable how the petrol prices just seem to go up, up and up. It does take a a dive every now and again. It goes down. But for every down, there's probably three ups. And the prices are just rising and rising. It's crazy. Even when the Rand is strong, petrol prices go up. Rent goes weak, petrol prices go up. And the trouble with that is not just the petrol prices are going up, but when petrol goes up, transportation costs go up. And uh, transportation costs, everything goes up. Food, commodities, everything. And when the petrol price goes down, then those prices don't actually go down because manufacturers hold the price because they know that the petrol price is going to go up. Now, whichever way you look at it, the petrol price uh, fluctuations in this country is actually a kind of injustice. It's zulum. It's really, really bad. Because if you benchmark with other countries, you'll find that they are paying much lower petrol prices than us. Nonetheless, price is just the one issue. And the harm that it's doing to the economy of the country, the harm it's doing to poor people especially, and they're always the ones that suffer the most, they're always the ones that feel it the most. So the harm it's doing to them is the other. But also, petrol is harmful for the environment. When cars are driving around giving off carbon monoxide monoxide emissions, and this carbon monoxide is very bad for the atmosphere. It causes it's one of the causes of global warming because that carbon monoxide rises into the earth's atmosphere and remains there and it traps sunlight, it traps the heat of the sun in the earth. It doesn't allow it to dissipate into the atmosphere, into this into space. And it stays trapped within the atmosphere and it causes global warming. Now we, we're familiar with global warming. And its, and its issues, I'm not going to actually go in depth into that. So now we've got this issue, we've got this issue of, of fossil fuels like petrol, and uh, this also includes diesel, that are wildly fluctuating in price, that are, you know, harming economies, that are harming people because of the prices that are directly related to the price of common uh, commodities, and also bad for the for the environment, not to mention the fact that. Not to mention the fact that petrol and diesel are non-renewable fuel sources. What does this mean? It means that once they are used up, that's it. So we pull out the crude oil from under the ground, and the more we consume, the more we're using up. It's not being regenerated at the speed that we are using it up. In other words, there are limited crude oil resources around the world. And as these start to dry up, as these start to run out, what's going to happen? The prices are going to get even higher. And if it runs out altogether, then we're headed for a massive, massive disaster. So the question is now, what is the solution? What can we do to avoid this meltdown? when fossil fuels actually run out or what can we do to alleviate the challenges associated with these high petrol prices and what can we do to save the environment now the answer to that is very simple it's been around for a couple of decades at least and the answer is electric vehicles now electric vehicles as the name suggests run not on petrol and diesel but on electricity. Now, the concept is nothing new. As I said, it's been around for a couple uh, decades, if not more. But it's just that the technology wasn't at a stage where we could successfully drive a vehicle from point A to point B for a reasonable distance without it running out of power. Because where there's electricity, remember, uh, there, there needs to be batteries, especially with something that's mobile like a car. In the past, the battery technology wasn't good enough. It wasn't advanced enough to be able to hold enough charge to give the car any uh, reasonable distance of travel. So we couldn't actually uh, create, we couldn't make uh, electric vehicles that, that were practical to use. Imagine having to drive a car that will give you like 10 or 15 kilometers only And then you have to recharge it for a few hours. And then you drive it again. And then you have to recharge it again for a few hours. Totally, totally impractical. But over the years, the technology has improved considerably. And it's gone to a stage now where cars can travel for hundreds of kilometers on a single charge. And not only that, but the battery technology has gone so advanced that batteries have gone smaller and smaller. And now the batteries that you'll find in electric vehicles are much, much smaller than what they would have been a few years ago. And this advancement in EV technology, that's the short the acronym for electric vehicles, the, the advancement of electric vehicles is thanks largely to one man an ex-South African entrepreneur who moved to the United States many years ago, Elon Musk. Now, Elon Musk, what he did was, he started off this company called Tesla that uh, manufactures electric vehicles in the United States. And him and his group of scientists and researchers, they went out of their way to try and develop battery technology to a point where it becomes practical for using inside vehicles and to a large extent they succeeded and they launched the tesla motor vehicle company and now they they gone into production and the company is doing exceptionally well and the reason the company is doing so well is not just because they are manufacturing cars that don't need petrol any longer but also these cars that they are building are absolute beauts. They're absolutely beautiful, beautiful cars. They got all the gizmos and gadgets that you can possibly imagine. And they some of them are real beasts. They have extreme power. And they are equivalent to the Italian sports cars in power and in speed. The one example is the Tesla Model S. It's really, if you look at a picture of it, it's such a beautiful car. It looks like any sports car. It's right up there in the category of your Ferraris and your Porsches, not just in looks, but also in, in speed. But I'm not going to tell you a lot more about it. Masula will give us a lot more about the, the Tesla Model S and its capabilities. Tell us, Masula, what, what, what does this Model S come with? Why is it such an awesome car?
1: Now, like like you mentioned, the Model S is not just an electric vehicle. It's an extremely beautiful uh, vehicle, and it's extremely powerful as well. It can accelerate from 0 to 100 kilometers in just 2.5 seconds. Now, there aren't that many petrol cars that can actually uh, accomplish that. Now, you've also mentioned that uh, this car is packed with gadgets, and... These these gadgets can not just do things like uh, navigation or, or, or tuning the radio, but the Tesla Model S vehicles are fitted with a 43-inch touchscreen in the dashboard that is also used for self-driving, it's used for uh, raising the suspension automatically, it's also used to um, retract the doorknobs, it can open doors, it can lock doors, And all this
0: is to uh, improve its efficiency on the road. But let's take it a step back, all right? There's some facts that you're glazing over that are totally, totally mind-boggling. For example, 0 to 100 in 2.5 seconds, that is crazy powerful. That will give you a G-force. I mean, you'll be pinned to your seat if you take off at that speed. That is amazing for any vehicle, not just... You know for, for an electric vehicle and also that that touchscreen you mentioned autopilot self-driving capabilities tell us more about that
1: okay so of course uh, um, self-driving cars are massive buzz nowadays and the tesla you can actually see that in action for example uh, parking all you need to do is pull up to your parking and hit a button on the key and the car will park itself even parallel parking. Phenomenal. And if you are in a shopping center and there's um, hundreds of cars parked, all you need to do is call your car and it will drive to you.
0: Amazing. So your car comes to you. Wow, that is phenomenal. I can't wait to get one. So tell us about the, the retractable door handles. What's up with that? So when you're trying to pick up speed, um, when you're trying to
1: drive really fast, you want to re- remove any wind resistance that you can. And the door handles in most cars are fixed, and you cannot do that. But Tesla obviously takes it to the next level, where the the body is shaped in such a way that it's meant to be as uh, aerodynamic as possible. And it removes things like the door handles.
0: Well, I didn't, I didn't even think that was an issue with cars, where the door handles actually give wind resistance and... And drag, I suppose that con- contributes to fuel consumption in some way. Okay, let's 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 discuss the power of this car, right? I I still can't get over it. Two point five seconds, zero to hundred in two point five seconds. Where does that power come from? I mean, this is an electric car after all. It doesn't have an engine. It has elect an electric motor, right? So this is something else that
1: Tesla has mastered. These cars have two engines or two motors. They are two three-phase induction motors that will give traction to the front and rear wheels independently.
0: Whoa, whoa, hold on. So you're saying each axle has its own engine? That's true. That's correct. Wow. Now, this is possible because
1: um, these motors are really small. They're about the size of, of a watermelon or a large beach ball even. Now, to power these engines, they use more than five thousand lithium ion batteries. Now, lithium ion uh, batteries are the same kind of batteries you 'll find in your iPhones or in, in your tablets. Now, five thousand lithium ion batteries is equivalent to the same amount of charge you will get from around seven thousand cell phones.
0: Okay, so here you 've got a super fast sports car that runs on cell phone batteries exactly Wow, and those engines they're tiny. Size of a of a of a watermelon. It's it's fascinating, and these batteries that
1: we talked about. Uh, this is what gives the car its its power, and actually, with a full charge, you can get up to
0: five hundred and sixty kilometers. Okay, so that brings me to my next question now, and that I'm sure everyone will be keen to know about fuel efficiency. How does a an electric vehicle compare in terms of running expenses to a traditional uh, petrol-powered uh, vehicle? Give us some some indication of that.
1: Okay. So, let's just uh, look at the numbers for a little while, right? The Tesla Model S is rated at about um, 20 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers. Okay. Now, if... Um, If you work at an electricity rate of 86 cents per kilowatt hour, you're looking at 17 rand per 100 kilometers.
0: Oh, that's cheap. That is very cheap. And the price you're working on for electricity, that's the the local prices, right? The current Eskom prices. Okay.
1: Now, um, in October 2018, after the, the fuel hike, a Toyota Corolla, which is also a fairly efficient car, will cost you 104 rand to travel the same distance now that's almost six times more than what you'd get with a tesla
0: so you're saying the tesla let's let's go over these numbers again 17 rands for a hundred kilometers that means if you're driving from durban to johannesburg it'll be like what 17 times 6 60 6 7 6 or 42 able like 102 rands 102 rands it'll cost you and that's it. it is amazing And yet the Corolla, which is really, as you say, one of the most efficient cars on our roads, will cost you, what, in excess of 600 rands. That's it. That is crazy, crazy efficient. And this also considering our high uh, electricity prices in this country.
1: It is. And um, the, the Teslas, as it stands, they are still making massive improvements to their batteries and their engines. So you can imagine that this price could even be halved one day.
0: Fantastic, that's phenomenal, and you know from what I've read somewhere, perhaps you'll you'll correct me you know people might want to know how long does it take to charge a uh, an electric car i I read somewhere that it it uh, takes about nine hours on a 240 volt source.
1: Yeah, that's it. that's all it takes. In fact, there is no um, you don't even need a special wall socket or anything. you just plug it into a normal wall socket that you would plug
0: your phone into. Okay, cool. so you you plug your car in overnight. it charges for nine hours. That nine hours of charge gives you 560 somewhat kilometers uh, of uh, of driving uh, distance. That means I mean think about it, 560 kilometers if you're doing a uh, an urban run around with your car like somebody going to work and back, this single charge could last weeks. It could last weeks, and then only you have to recharge your car. And obviously, you'll know what the charge status of your car is because that giant uh, 43 uh, centimeter screen is. It, it definitely it has uh, battery indicators as well. This is really, really phenomenal technology. And you know what's the best part? The best part is this technology is still in its infancy. It hasn't reached maturity as yet. Imagine. What's going to happen in the future? When As batteries become more efficient, as, f- as electricity becomes cheaper, these cars are going to become cheaper and cheaper to produce. As more of the smaller manufacturers or those that are manufacturing uh, the cheaper cars uh, come on board, these things are just going to uh, become a lot more accessible to people. Because from what I know, EVs are really quite expensive, aren't they?
1: Yeah, no, they are. They are very expensive. And also, um, keep in mind that we are also making um, good headways in solar energy. So imagine electric cars plus solar energy.
0: We've got a winning winning combination right there. Okay, so, you know, there's a lot of countries that are making good progress towards electric vehicles and they're assisting their citizens. Now, the United States, for example, gives you a tax write-off when you buy an electric vehicle. Uh, They give you a kickback of like $7,500, which is, uh, what, by today's um, exchange rate, it's about 106,000 rands. Uh, That's a big saving. But you got countries in Europe like Norway, for example. They go, they go overbought because they're seeing the long-term benefits of electric vehicles. They're seeing the harm that fossil fuels are doing to uh, the the environment. And Norway, for example, uh, firstly they have this thing called an acquisition tax for motor for all motor vehicles. It's eleven thousand U.S. dollars. So first things first, if you're buying an electric vehicle, they waive that tax. The second thing they do is they waive the 25% VAT that you'd need to pay on any vehicle. So immediately, you're saving the 25% VAT and you're saving 11,000 US dollars. But not only that. You know what they do in Norway? If you're driving an electric vehicle, you get other perks like you don't have to pay toll fees and you don't have to pay for ferries. Now ferries is a thing that we don't really understand in this country, but in certain countries like Norway, when you need to get from one place to another, you have to cross rivers and uh, you know lakes and there's no bridges wide enough for this ferry, so you drive your car to the ferry and the ferry would take you to the other side and you drive off and there's a fee that that you would pay so these countries are actively promoting electric vehicle technology by helping their citizens to buy the Uh, The uh, electric vehicles. But nonetheless, they are still quite expensive and definitely out of reach for South Africans. But the time is coming when electric vehicles will become so affordable that every South African will be able to afford. And I think we are poised for that. And like you say, when solar... Uh, technology kicks in solar technology combined with electric vehicles will be a phenomenal it'll transform economies I'll tell you why because the same company company Tesla is working on solar technology that will convert the roof of your house into a power plant so basically the entire roof of your house will be a solar cell, it will be a solar panel that's generating enough electricity to run your own home and your car. So then, think about it, no more electricity bill, no more petrol bill. That will be a saving for an average household of thousands of rands. And it's not as if that solar technology is somewhere in the distant future, it's already happening. If you look at countries like the United States, like China, European countries, they're investing millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into solar farms. And here in South Africa, we've got massive tracts of wastelands in the Karoo Desert, in the Kalahari Desert, that we can also convert into solar cells. But I'm getting carried away with solar technology. I think we'll do a separate episode just on solar technology. Because solar plus electric vehicles is really going to transform our economy. And the best part about electricity, especially solar, is that it's a renewable source. As long as the sun is shining, as long as the sun rises every day, we're going to get free electricity from the sun. And that's the most awesome thing that we can ever imagine. Well, anyways, we're out of time for today's episode. I hope our listeners enjoyed and learned from it as much as... We did in preparing this uh, episode. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Masihullah Katrada. And this is Technology Watch. Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcasts. This is The Amazing Beauty of Creation. I'm Bilal Katrada.
2: And I'm Talha Katrada.
0: And this is the show that brings you up close with the universe around you. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the amazing beauty of creation. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm Talha Katrada. And today we're going to take a deep, deep, deep dive into the deepest parts of the ocean and explore some amazing, weird monsters that live in those deep parts of the ocean. Now, before we get there, let's take it a step back. I remember as a kid hearing a story. I don't know about the authenticity about the story. But there was a story about Sulaiman salam who approached Allah Taala one day and says, "Let me, let me feed the creation uh, for 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 a day, for a meal." So Allah Taala said to Sulaiman salam that you'll never be able to do that. That's my job, and I I'm the one that provides sustenance for all the creatures. So Sulaiman alaihissalam insisted. Allah Taala gave him one one meal. Okay, you feed the creation for one meal. So the story goes that Suleiman alayhi salam prepared for this meal for months. For months and months he had his entire army gathering and gathering and gathering food for the creation. And finally when the day came, he made an announcement that all creations come and have uh, your meals now. And one single fish jumped out of the water, came there and ate everything that Suleyman had prepared and his army had prepared for months and months and months. So Suleyman stood by in shock and he, and, he, and he just looked at this. So he said to the fish that, how is this even possible? You, you just ate everything that we, that we prepared. So was it Dawud, al-Salam? I'm not sure now. But anyways, the the, it's the it's the story that the moral of the story that counts. So anyways he said to the fish, You just ate everything that I I prepared and now there's nothing left for the other creation. So the fish says, This is not even half of what my rub gives me in a in a single meal. Where's the rest of my meal? So this is like starters, you know? So the question that always lingered in my mind ever since I heard that story as a kid that this fish could not have been a whale, because there's no way a whale can eat that much of food. I mean, whales are huge. A typical whale is what, the size of like three buses, and it, it can eat tons of food. But I mean, seriously, in a single meal, a whale will eat one ton, two tons, three tons of food. Not months and months and months of preparation by one of the most powerful kings Ever to walk the face of this uh, one of the wealthiest kings, so the the question lingered that what kind of creature would this be, and where would this creature live and When we are doing the research on this Mariana trench, I think we we're starting to get an inkling of where this creature might might be, who knows it probably still lives in the deep, dark, murky depths of the Mariana trench down 10, 11 kilometers at at the depths of the ocean, where our abilities to see anything or to send probes and cameras down is highly, highly limited. I mean, even if we were to send cameras down, it's so dark in there, those cameras will just show us black screens. They'll show us nothing but black screens. So perhaps that creature lives there. But what's more remarkable, that creature may exist or not exist today but there are other creatures that actually live in those deep dark parts of the ocean and it's remarkable how they live and it's what's more remarkable is that they've got a life down there they are being provided with their sustenance there you know we often worry as human beings about sustenance we worry about income we worry about um, about money matters we worry about food but yet these creatures are swimming in the depths of the ocean and yet Allah is providing for them there question if he's providing for them in the deep cold dark depths 10 and 11 kilometers at the bottom of the ocean why would he not provide for us so when we look at these creatures i think there's two lessons here in all of this one is to marvel at Allah's creation and the other is to take hope and inspiration from the fact that Allah provides no matter where you are no matter who you are You could be in the depths of the ocean. You could be living in a cave in the depths of the earth. But Allah is there. He is aware and He will provide. He always does. Okay, so without any delays, I want Talha to tell us something. Talha, tell us about these creatures that live in the depths of the Mariana Trench. Give us some examples.
2: Okay, so I think I'll just pick... There's a lot of creatures that live down there. But for the sake of of, uh, time-wise... I'm just going to pick two of my personal favourites. So the first one is what's called a snailfish, or a species of snailfish. Okay, so make up your mind, what is it? Is it a snail or a fish? Uh, A bit of both. Now the snailfish is a very weird looking fish. It almost looks like a giant tadpole swimming through the ocean. But this weird fish is a very, very special fish because it currently holds the record for the deepest living fish. Snailfish were filmed swimming at a depth of
0: 8,178 meters. Whoa, hold on. That's 8 kilometers deep. 8 kilometers. I mean, I can't even walk 8 kilometers. It's so far. All right. Now, th- this is a fairly,
2: fairly uh, new discovery um, that we've made. And it only took place in May of 2017. So that's just testament to what you say about how little we know about the ocean. We've known about the Mariana Trench for centuries, but only now we have, we're discovering some of its its mysteries.
0: So that's amazing. I mean, what you said in the previous episode, you know, it it uh, it comes back to me that 95 percent of the ocean is still unexplored.
2: The second creature we're going to talk about today is what's called an amphipod. Now amphipods are shrimp-like creatures and on earth you probably get thousands of species of them, but there are a few species that live in the Mariana Trench alone. So you get some of them that grow to about 3 cm long and then you get some which are referred to as supergiant amphipods and these ones have been recorded to grow up to 34 cm long. That is huge. So a giant, like, it looks like a hybrid between a a shrimp and a cockroach. So just imagine a giant 34 centimeter long shrimp cockroach swimming through the ocean. Creepy, very creepy. Now, using bait landers, amphipods have been filmed uh, living and eating at depths greater than 10.5 kilometers deep. So that's nearly at the bottom of the ocean, nearly at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And you'd think that at that depth it would be barren and empty of any life, but there are swarms of thousands of
0: these amphipods swimming around scavenging for food. I would certainly think so, that you know, there's nothing, it's, it's barren, because from what you described last week, it's pitch dark there, it's absolutely cold, near freezing temperatures. And the worst part is, there's, there's insane amounts of, of pressure, down there. So as you go deeper, there's more water above you putting pressure down on you. And what was it like three, tons per square inch? I mean eight tons, eight tons per square inch. That's that's crazy pressure. I mean, no human being can survive. In fact, if you put a car or a truck down there, uh, you know, under those kinds of pressures, it will be flattened to a pancake. Really, it'll 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 destroy even the strongest uh, thing that we've made. Um, So, how do these creatures actually overcome these challenges? How do they see? I mean, what do they eat down there? And uh, most of all, those those uh, pressures. How do they how do they manage to survive under such immense pressure? Okay, yeah. So uh, the first obvious problem is, is the darkness.
2: No light penetrates the ocean deeper than about 200 meters. So at 11 kilometers deep, it's pitch black. It's a constant night. So there's a few ways that the creatures down there uh, overcome these problems. Firstly, some of them have extremely sensitive eyes. So even the faintest glimmers of light, their eyes can, can pick up. Some creatures go a step further and create their own light through a process called bioluminescence.
0: Oh, wow. So they they have lights. Right? They have Headlights. lights. Very much like, like fireflies.
2: Very similar to that. Uh, but a lot of fish will, or creatures will depend on their other senses. So creatures living at that depth have, firstly, a very acute sense of smell. So they can smell food from miles away. And most creatures living at the bottom of the ocean or at great depths they have very, they have the sensory organs that allow them to detect movements and vibrations
0: in the water. Okay, what about, you haven't mentioned sonar, you think there's a possibility some of them use sonar, like bats? It's extremely possible, but because of that depth,
2: it's so hard for us to to observe and study these creatures that there could be
0: worlds of information that we're missing out on. I see. You know, I, I... it also occurs to me that perhaps these creatures have certain senses that we don't even know about and we haven't yet explored uh, because we haven't studied them so much so they could have the ab- certain abilities that that no other creatures on earth have i mean when we talk about senses we generally uh, we we equate it to our our own senses the ability to see hear smell but who knows there isn't another sense like for example Sharks can you know detect electricity from from distances, so maybe these creatures got some unknown senses to us and I, I suppose that the difficulty in studying them one of the difficulties is that the moment you bring them out of their their depths, they die they can't they can 't live in shallow water because their bodies will basically just explode, so we we can 't take them alive to to study them why you know uh, Uh, while they are still alive and neither can we study them in their own habitat because we'll die if we go uh, that deep okay so but what do they eat now so if you if you're living at the bottom
2: of the ocean you can't be a picky eater because food at the bottom food at that depth is scarce so firstly the creatures down there can go months without feeding sometimes And secondly, they are opportunistic and they'll eat anything uh, that they come across. Some of the larger fish being at the top of the food chain, they will hunt and eat some of the smaller creatures like smaller fish and crustaceans and mollusks that live there. But a large part of the diet of most deep sea creatures uh, consists of a substance called detritus. Now detritus is the small particles of decaying plant and animal matter that fall from the, uh, the layers of the ocean above. It almost looks like snow or rain sometimes. And the smaller creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean, especially on the floor, they are completely dependent on this. This is like their only food source. And Occasionally, when you're living at the bottom of the ocean, you'll be treated to something like a dead fish that falls and no one else above you eats it. And uh, if you're really lucky, sometimes a dead whale will fall to the bottom. Oh, that would be a treat. That
0: would be like eat day for these fish.
2: Uh, A dead whale can provide a feast for for the deep sea creatures for months. For months you'll get creatures coming from far and wide, from eel-like fish to even giant sharks that live in the depths, will come to, to feed on this whale. And once the meat is picked clean, you even get the species of worm, newly discovered species of worm, that will start to eat the whale bones themselves. Nothing goes to waste, eh? See, That's why when you're at that depth, you can't afford to be a picky eater because food is really scarce.
0: So, True. And something else comes to my mind, you know, from the previous episode, we spoke about uh, the benefits of uh, ocean currents, we spoke about ocean currents in a sense that they regulate temperatures of the ocean around the world. They take our water from the colder regions and transfers it to the warmer regions and vice versa. But here's another benefit of ocean currents: these underwater ocean currents are actually uh, causing that detritus to to reach these creatures. So the water underneath is not stagnant because it's constantly moving. So uh, detritus from other parts of the ocean are probably getting washed into the trench, which forms a kind of a catchment and it channels that that detritus down towards these creatures and they they eat from that. So even that too, you can say, is Allah Ta'ala's plan. It's not not, uh, at all coincidence. Okay, the pressures...
2: Okay, so that's, yeah, that's I think the final and arguably one of the most severe problems that the creatures down there have to deal with because, I mean, even our high-tech submarines can't survive that long down there. Um, so, how do these fish survive this? So, the first problem is that all animals have fat in them. around Especially around your cells, you have this membrane of fat uh, that's made out of this fatty liquid and this fat needs to stay liquid, otherwise you'll die, t- and at that depth with that pressure the fat around your animal cells will freeze and turn to, turn to solid. Very similar to how butter turns solid in a fridge. So to combat this effect, deep sea creatures have a lot of unsaturated fats uh, in them. Unsaturated fats is a similar group of chemicals to say vegetable oil. And these unsaturated fats can stay liquid, even under extreme pressure and extremely low temperatures. And a second negative effect that results from the pressure is the proteins in in the animal cells can't function properly. So think about it like this. The protein is the part of your animal cell that does a lot of the important work. For example, they convert food into energy that the rest of your body can use. Now in order for these proteins to be able to function properly, they need to be able to increase their size and change their shape rapidly. But because of this immense pressure at the bottom of the ocean, they can't do that. Think about it as like trying to inflate a balloon underwater. When you're out of water, it's easy but as you go deeper it becomes harder and harder and soon it becomes impossible to do that so that's pretty much the challenge that these proteins in animal cells have to face at that depth so to to help the, the creatures at the depth to help them uh, help their proteins perform normally and help them survive they collect these tiny little molecules called piezolites now, what piezolites do is that they, piezolites are found inside the animal cells themselves, and they sort of add this level of reinforcement to the cell to make sure that pressure from outside doesn't push down too hard on the proteins and make sure that inside the cell the proteins still have uh, enough
0: room to go about their tasks. So, okay, a lot of sciencey talk there from uh, from you, Talha. So we spoke about the the pressures, the proteins, the piezolites, So in essence, these creatures have protective shields, right? But these protective shields are not just around their bodies, but around every single cells of their bodies. So the entire cellular structure, I mean, if you take any creature, the smallest building block of, of life is the cell, whether it's plants or animals. So you're saying that these creatures have been adapted from that level from the molecular from the cellular level they've been adapted to survive in the in the depth every single cell is fortified and protected and because of that the creature itself is protected i mean think about it like this on one level of protection is is the creature's body itself that's a very high level of protection and you know, if it had a protective layer outside, then that would protect it as long as that layer is not damaged. So, for example, if that creature gets into a dogfight with another uh, with another fish and it gets scratched, then that if that protective layer outside the body is is damaged, then the fish is dead because the the water pressure will crack right through it and destroy the fish. It's like a plane; a crack appears on a plane or a submarine. One single crack and it's, and it's gone. But this creature, what you're saying is, it's not just protected from the outside, it's protected on a cellular level, cell by cell. Every single cell is protected. That's amazing. It's amazing. You can see, you can almost see Allah Ta'ala's handwork over here. How He's, he's you know created these creatures completely different from everything else. And I suppose one additional thing is that the internal pressure is the same as the external pressure so for example if you've got uh, a fish that's living that deep there's there's obviously pressure that's being that's being put on it on its body by the water but in order for it to survive and not get flattened it needs to exert an opposite pressure newton's law that's why when you bring these creatures up close to the surface they explode they will they will literally explode because the pressure in their bodies is too high for the pressures in the shallow parts of the water, and that internal body pressure will just keep pushing outwards 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 it's like it 's like blowing a balloon. you know that example you use of a balloon. you keep blowing that balloon, you blow it and blow it and blow it and blow it until a point comes where it pops that 's what will happen to those creatures. there's just too much of pressure inside of them. okay, I think uh, we 've reached the end of our time, and uh it 's remarkable how time flies when you are having fun and uh Today went a bit fast. I sincerely hope that our listeners enjoyed this uh, episode and learned from it as much as uh, as we did Taha. This is some really amazing stuff. Yes, truly amazing stuff, but there's
2: plenty more amazing things to come, much more incredible and fascinating things to
0: come. I think once you you, you, you go down the path of uh, admiring Allah Ta'ala's creations, there's just no end to it. Anyways, that's a wrap for today's episode. I'm Bilal Katrada. And I'm talented. And this is The Amazing Beauty of Creation.
2: Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, at AB of Creation, to give us feedback on our podcast, and let us know if there's anything specific you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.